When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When the spawn meets world. What up, bros? What up, bros? And welcome to Bruh Meets World. When it's Bruh Meets World. Or maybe should I say Bruh Meets the Spider-Verse? Spider-Verse. Uh, <laughs> this is an extra credit episode. I'm Siege. And I am Tony Curtis. Uh, and to join us today for our very extra special episode about Across the Universe, the 2023 sequel to the 2018 Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, you loved him. He is a longtime bruh-mate of the show. Uh, Ooh, I back. like that. Bruh-mate. We need to start right. using that more. That, let's right. get that on merchandise. <laughs> Welcome back, Chris Lord. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm an honored bruh-mate and very honored happy bruh-mate. to be here. So. Yes, and she had a guest spot during our Be True episode. Um, welcome back, Amber, aka Sailor Ignite. Hey, uh, thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, honestly, T and I watched like I actually I saw it first, and I was like, uh, we have to do this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen this movie three times. Damn. I, I'm into it. Like, I know there's some hot takes around the, the table, but I'm into this movie and I'm ready to talk about it. Yeah, all right. So to, to say that, first of all, to let all of our listeners know, uh, this will be a spoiler-filled review. You guys know T. There is no way we'll be able to talk about this movie no. and not hint at things that are in it. So if you haven't seen the movie, please go check it out. Uh, it's two hours and 20 minutes. Uh, we see you two hours and 20 minutes from now. Welcome back. Um, <laughs> So I'm so excited to talk about this movie. But first, as always, we would love to get our guests' first impression. I need to know, both of you, how did you feel about this movie? How did you feel getting back into the Spider-Verse? I love Miles. I have loved Miles since, like, they said that there was going to be a Black Spider-Man. I was like, I'm here for it. And then they're like, he was, I was like, here for it. So I was definitely excited. Um, I think that... Sony has done a really good job with what it, with the Spider-Man's uh, franchise, so I was definitely just excited. I like I love the movie. I came out of it and I was like, "This is a this is a great Spider-Man movie." Yeah, I I also loved it. Had a great time. Like just huge, big, stupid grin on my face, like all the way through the movie, especially all the parts uh, in the like the the Spider Clubhouse. I don't know what the official name for it is, but just like all the appearances. <laughs> That's what it's called. Official name. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we're calling it. We'll, we'll we'll get into like maybe more nuanced uh, conversations towards the end. I will say I walked out though not very satisfied with the ending. On, on a second viewing, it it upset me less. Um, but we'll I, talk I, about that. Yeah, you and I, I had I, this discussion, and I I'm, yes. I I'm down to defend my point of view. <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah, but I mean, I. I knew when they announced it that it was a two-parter, and so I was like, I could kind of see where it was going as it was getting there. Um, but that being said, like, it's it's a masterpiece. I mean, the the first one is, I think, arguably, well, definitely the best Spider-Man movie. If someone told me it's the best superhero movie ever made, I'd be like, you know what? I have time for that conversation. I think it's a very valid point. 
And I think this was a very worthy successor to that. You know, I, uh, I've seen it three times. <laughs> and I, I had to see it more than once because the first time I was just left speechless, like truly just mm. like speechless and all. I had like post-orgasm shudders, like, don't touch me, don't touch me, don't touch me. It just, <laughs> it just, I was so like overstimulated in all the best ways. And um, just really just in all of like, this is why I think this movie is truly making like such a cultural impact and like kind of going beyond what animated movies are are thought of is because to me it really just showcased how creative we are as a people as a humanity like if aliens were to come down and try to destroy earth i would send this up hoping that they would show pity on us <laughs> seeing how creative we can be and like that was just like a a moment that i didn't expect to have that i'm just like still just in awe of this particular movie the one that ends the way that it does Th that is you true <laughs> Leave them wanting more. They can't kill us if they were waiting for a sequel. You know what? You're right. Like I can that see one. aliens being like, you know, we we would destroy, but we gotta wait till March 2024. We need to see how this comes out. Oh, they're gonna push it to summer, I think. But okay. oh yeah, I've already heard that. Siege, that's, that's what was good. your initial impression when you saw it? Uh, I love that you asked that. I I was like, they did it again. Like that was my <laughs> first thought. Like I literally just sat there being like, they did it again uh anyone who knows anything about sequels especially in hollywood sometimes you're like this is a cash grab or how much thought could you have really put into this it's been five years since the last one so there's a lot of pressure on this one to be good and then i watched it being like you did it i like just wanted to stand up and applause everyone involved because I was like, you actually did it. You made me care about the characters. You made me care about the story. And I actually feel like everything fits. Everything feels cohesive. Everything feels thought out. Um, and, but it also works as a standalone film, you know? I do want to go into this movie a little bit and kind of like, talk about the things that we've loved because there is so much to this movie t you are afro latino mm -hmm. i feel like this absolutely hits and nails uh amber you're not limited to but this has like it starts off with a female storyline so i definitely want to hear your thoughts of it and then lordens you are the nerd guide like you have so <laughs> many info so i just i just want to hear i'm gonna sit back for a little bit and like just listen to you guys tell me what you loved about the movie childish gambino came in and i screamed <laughs> Yes. Ugh, the most meta. I saw him and I was trying so hard. I literally audibly gasped. I was like, oh my God. For those of you who don't know, Donald Glover is actually the inspiration for Miles Morales. Like it was one of those like domino effect situations where he wore a t-shirt on the show community with like a Spider-Man. The audience went crazy being like, he would make a great Spider-Man. Well, actually, the, the online campaign started before that episode. And that episode was him kind of throwing his hat and saying like, yeah, I, I, I'm also expressing interest. God, I love that. Absolutely. So everyone and said, no, he's black. He can't. He actually talks about it in a stand-up special. It's really funny. Yeah. So they said that maybe this new Spider-Man, since they're making it so, you know, quickly after making these other Spider-Mans, maybe they should make it real different, you know, make it kind of like dark and edgy like the Dark Knight and put it in modern day times and stuff. And maybe, you know, Spider-Man, maybe he doesn't have to be white. Maybe he can be black or Hispanic or something like that. And then somebody put a big picture of me in the comments. It was like, Donald Glover can play Spider-Man. He's nerdy. 
And I was like, okay. And somebody sent that to me. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'll put that up. So I put it up on my Twitter. And I was like, oh, Donald for Spider-Man. Let's do this. You know, kind of joke. But also, like, who doesn't want to be Spider-Man? That'd be cool. And that's when the world went crazy. <laughs> and half the world was like, Donald for Spider-Man. We're only going to watch the next Spider-Man of Donald Glover's playing Peter Parker. And the other half was like, he's black. Kill him. Like, it was so fast. I'm so fast. So it's really funny. Yeah. They said he's black, he can't. So they were like, all right, we'll just create a new one. And they created Miles Morales. And like, he's kind of always been in, uh, I believe it's- um, He's in Spider-Man Homecoming. Homecoming. Yeah. Spider-Man Homecoming. Yeah. He makes an appearance as, as Uncle Aaron, as the Prowler. Um, so to see him come back again, is like it's meta on meta it's fantastic and yeah do you want to dive a little deeper into that meta web go because, for it because <laughs> spoilers um so yes he is the they the internet crowned him the stan lee of miles morales which i just love um Ooh. Oh, okay. so he plays the prowler which he initially was supposed to place uh, uh spider-man but they said no you can't do it um took that away from him Gave that spider to someone else. Hint, hint. <laughs> In this movie, there is a, a boy who is supposed to be Miles Mor uh, Spider-Man, but that spider was taken away and he becomes the Prowler. So just mirrored stories inside and okay, out. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. <laughs> um, all the other cameos, when they put Spectacular Spider-Man in mm. there, the Tobey Maguire, there's Andrew Garfield. Um, the like allusion to the like original comics um, that like the meme pointing of course yes. um, so I, I really loved all that it was a really fun movie to watch I also really enjoyed all the an different animation styles it just it looked so beautiful and they all you wonder how they're going to make all of these different animations work and fit in this like set animation style and it all worked out really well it all looked beautiful even when they added the live action people in there it looked great yeah which isn't always done well like we always think like okay like roger rabbit best example of live action animation and it's like not often you get mostly animation with a little bit of live action and it could have been distracting and it really wasn't i thought they did a really like great job interweaving that through and making it just feel totally organic like it doesn't seem weird the Miles is talking to Donald Glover. It's just like, oh no, this this totally works. It doesn't feel odd at all. The opening already introduced us to so many different animation styles. Like right from the beginning, you know, it's mostly Gwen's story, and Gwen's universe is is just beautiful, like so beautiful. It's like a watercolor, and it's just like constantly changing in reaction to her emotions. And I believe the creator said that they wanted it to act like a mood ring universe. Yes. Like it's watercolor yeah. mood ring. And, and uh, on the second viewing, you can totally see that. Like, no matter how she's feeling or how any character who's in the shot is feeling, there's, like, a complete color scheme that kind of reflects that. I'm, I'm so sorry. I just wanted to throw that out. No, no, no. This is a good way of putting in the mood ring thing. And, like, I love that it, her world in particular, like, wasn't, I don't know, like, bound by any sort of, like, conventional animation style. Definitely. Like, it, it practically doesn't, there's no reason for it to constantly changing, like, in a in the sense of like the world itself but you don't care because it's just so beautiful and it feels so organic to her and her character and then you know right from the beginning we get her and then we get like the da vinci era vulture which is just like such a weird and wild concept and again that the mashing of the animation and then you get that whole sequence and like that really heartbreaking moment with her and, and her dad and then like the title card pops up like well, this was just the cold open like this is just this insane 
like little mini stories in the cold open and at the pace of these movies last one and this one is just relentless but it never feels exhausting it just carries you along all the way through you have such an emotional connection to everyone in it all the relationships feel so real and so grounded um and even like the spot like he's <sighs> i can't wait to talk about him yeah. like yeah. Yeah, you know it's like that's almost become like a trope in of itself like the sympathetic villain but you kind of get where he he's coming from and especially making him seem so like hapless and useless initially and jason Schwartzman is just a perfect voice perfect voice for him um and just like every little piece was so clearly well thought out. And I, and I think we're at a point now where that's often not the case. And I think it's a totally valid criticism of like the MCU of late too, just like doesn't feel like it's necessarily thought through. And every single tiny little piece of this is so meticulously thought through. And it's just this beautiful, fun, funny, heartwarming, heartbreaking roller coaster all the way through. And just so few movies deliver on that. And for also to be animation just makes me that much happier because people need to respect animation more. Absolutely. I, I think for those of you who don't know, Chris was actually on our Into the Spider-Verse recap, mm -hmm. uh, which was really funny. And so I listened to that again just to compare. And we talked about how Into the Spider-Verse really kind of set the tone of being like, oh, wait, no, you should respect animation. And yes. I feel like that's what the entire... So far, it's only been two, but we know there'll be three. The Spider-Verse trilogy, Miles Morales, will be about. It's really, like, the respect for animation of all kinds. Like, you know, like, whether it's hand-drawn, digital, uh, Lego. Like, there are so many versions of animation <laughs> that are just valued and given their flowers i uh, think one thing that's real that keeps popping up is like when it when you're talking about how long it is and like story building in the mcu it was it was where it like made up for everything that was wrong with eternals like eternals was this really oh long yes. story that was really drawn out trying to build these build these worlds and try to convince me that these heroes are right <laughs> for two hours and i still wasn't convinced yeah. and then this one i was like I see why Miles wants to mess things up. I'll let him do it. I want to see him do it. You know, I, I love that you pointed out the kind of trilogy aspect of it too, like the length of these series. Um, it's rare that we just get a traditional trilogy now with like a beginning, middle and end thawed out from mm -hmm. completion. I mean, I, I feel like there's something that's missing in common movie uh, franchises when you just know that like there's not really any high stakes because you know they're going to be back in the next year's movie whereas this it just feels very organic that like there it's going to come to an end and I'm excited to see that ending versus feeling like it's going to be stretched out for years and years and the fact that they thought ahead of time that they're planting easter eggs in the first movie for the second movie and probably for the third movie shows that they have much more foresight than mcu that's retroactively going back and adding stuff in to make things make sense absolutely chris you brought up the cold open mm -hmm. and i thought that was so fantastic because a it starts with gwen and she says let's do things a little bit differently this time and like not only do we get kind of like her world and how things are we understand that she's alone and isolated um which we will later learn is echoed with miles being alone and isolated which gives you motivation as an audience to see all of these spider people come together but also what i love is this repeating motif of she tells the stories of miles not her story she tells miles the story and she goes and he's not the only one 
And like they're just constantly bringing it up and he's not the only one, which to me is so fantastic for her to enter with because at the end when Miles is alone and by himself, you remember that he's not the only one. There is an entire band of spider people who are on his side who are coming looking for him. So to open up with he's not the only one is like a very great bit of foreshadowing that again i i just i this movie is fantastic with foreshadowing oh i just wanted to touch on that a little bit because this is my theory this is my theory based off of watching this okay Mm -hmm. so this whole movie is kind of about miles choosing to live his life on his own terms like um you know uh he says to his guidance the guidance counselor says you can't have your cake and eat it too and he's like well you can if you have two cakes and then gwen's like well there's no universe in which spider-man and gwen end up together and he was like well there's a first time for everything and so when Miguel like questions like hey you can't do two things I think that hey if I have two cakes thing is going to come back to play because I think what we're going to find out is that Spider-Man can do these things if he has more Spider-Man if he can bring Uh. another cake with him he even goes as far as to tell his mom before he leaves hey I'm coming back with a cake so I think there's something to that cake metaphor that's going to come back to play in terms of him being that part of that unit that team that community TC, you just made me realize something. He says you can if you have two cakes. How does the movie end? Two miles. Oh! Oh! oh look at that! Look at that! <laughs> so fantastic. You guys have, like, I just want to give our listeners, again, you should have watched it by now. I'm going to give a really <laughs> quick rundown, uh, roll call, if you will, mm-hmm. of the people who are playing so there's some identity of, like, who we're talking about. You get Shamik Moores as Miles Morales, Haley Steinfeld as Gwen Stacy, Brian Tyree Henry as Jeff Morales, uh, Luna Lauren Velez as Rio Morales, uh, Jake Johnson as Parter, Peter B. Parker, Oscar Isaac as Miguel O'Hara, Jason Schwartzman as Spot, which I can't wait to talk about Spot, <laughs> uh, Issa Rae as Jessica Drew, and Greta Lee as Lila. There are so many more uh, Spider people that I can't list everyone, but I just wanted to like list the, the main cast. And, and um, What did you guys think about the casting of this episode? Or this this uh, movie, it's nuts. Like as you're going through that list, you're just like every person is is just as good, not better than the last. And you know, some of them have. I, I'd say the nice thing about this, like I felt like everyone got something to do. Like yeah. just from an acting perspective, everyone got a little bit of something to work with. But yeah, just like what a ridiculously deep bench of people to come in and do voice acting. Like I I have a, a lot of love for we'll call like traditional voice actors who have kind of faded out as celebrity voice acting has become such a huge thing in the last 30 years. But then you look at something like this, you're like, oh, but everyone here is just giving it their all and you understand why everyone here was cast. And they're so perfectly cast down to every single person. Uh, and I specifically, I wanted to ask you, Amber, we yeah. get Haley Steinfeld and Issa Rae as um, both Spider-Women. Yeah. How, like, how did you feel? Like, I mean, like, Issa, alone, I'm going to be quiet and let you talk. <laughs> Issa is my Capricorn sister. I was, st- I, I remember in college, she was supposed to come to my university. And that's as soon as Insecure took off. So she had overbooked herself. And I just, ever since then, I've like known of who she is. And I just love her so much. She can't, I was really wondering what she was going to do and how she was going to do this voice. And she has like such a great voice anyway. I knew she was going to be fantastic but her is Jessica Drew and just the way she talks was just 
so amazing. Like I was like, this is a black woman. This is a pregnant black woman who's here and taking care of business. Um, Haley, it was so good. I didn't even really realize that was her until after I got done with the well, like went back and watched some interviews of the movie. And she was so good. They I even with like recognizable voices, I was just like, oh, these people are these are these characters. These are not real human beings that I have seen on TV before. See, what did you think about like the the let's say the voice actors and like the storylines that again like you are Afro Latina and I I want to make sure that we kind of identify that because the whole story of Miles Morales a lot of people were like oh we got a black Spider Man and I have been very mindful specifically because of you like no he is not just a black Spider Man he is an Afro Latino Spider Man which is so important well you know okay so there's a few things about that first of all i just want to say that like i feel like the reason why this movie works is because it's a movie about family like mm-hmm. i and i feel like this is actually a theme of a lot of major important blockbusters that have ever come out i mean jaws is about a family like et is about a family terminator 2 is really just a mother-son story like there's so many examples of just family being at the heart of these movies where it just really works and this is an example of that um I thought it was really interesting that the whole center conflict was about Miles being this original anomaly, because as a mixed kid, you often feel like an anomaly. You often feel Mm. like you don't belong anywhere. And so, you know, to see that kind of echoed through the meta commentary of, you know, they're talking about how Miles is rejected because he is this kind of Black or Afro-Latino Spider-Man in general. But I think there is some commentary about what it means to be that kind of mixed in both worlds and not really knowing what group you belong to and feeling less in every category. Um, so I just thought that was really interesting. There's also just some really um, interesting, like little fun facts about this. Whereas like, um, for example, at the uh, party for his dad that they're having, they're serving pateles, which is a traditional Puerto Rican dish, which it, my family goes crazy over. It's like our Christmas dish that we make every year. Um, in the movie, his mom says, oh, I hear that Spider-Man is, is Puerto Rican. He goes, no, I heard he's Dominican, which fun fact about that is that the voice of the man, or the guy who does the alternative Miles is Dominican. So it's kind of playing into that commentary as well. Um, so yeah, just a lot of fun, fun, interesting tidbits in there. That's so funny. Like it's uh, great to see that kind of representation. Um, it like not only representation in like terms of voice acting or um the character itself but like this movie is so good at representing and knowing the world in which this character lives like visually there's that a lot of people pointed out when his mother snaps her fingers mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. like shows a little puerto rican flag like as a sound effect and you're like oh that's so amazing but then also i don't know if anyone else caught this um but there's just a scene where miles is in his guidance counselor's office and his mother just looks at him, so he sits up straight, and his father looks at him again, and he sits up straighter, and you're like, yeah, that is, those are black parents. Those are, sorry, black and uh, Hispanic parents, where they're like, uh, excuse you, are you not in front of company? You know, like, and there's, like, so many, like, small details like that that felt, that to me allowed people to feel seen um in different different ways and that scene he's also wearing a black lives matter pin as well if you if you yeah. look at his, uh backpack so which made me sad a little bit because that means that 
uh, all of the things that in every crazy. universe, in every there's universe. white supremacy oh. to battle, guys. It, yeah. You can't escape it. It's the original <laughs> Thanos. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great way of putting that. I want to talk about Spot a little bit because Spot is introduced in this movie as the antagonist. Um, and as Chris had pointed out earlier, he kind of has like a sympathetic backstory a little bit. We meet him. He's like this bubbling fool of a crime fighter. He even said, look, I can't get a job. So I turned to crime. <laughs> and I thought that was like so funny and so realistic when he says that he created Miles and Miles created him. A lot of his story arc really comes off from the fact that Miles is like, oh, you're like a villain of the week. And he's like, oh, really? And you know, like, like that insult to ego is enough to like just spark this entire thing. Yeah, I mean, I think to TC's point about like the menace of it all, like the spot is kind of a villain of the week villain. Like my my Spider-Man knowledge is not as uh, as robust as like my Batman knowledge. But, like I did recently rewatch the whole Spider-Man animated series. It's like you, you people know like the big names in terms of Spider-Man films, where you like the various goblins, Green Goblin, Hobgoblin, Doc Ock, Vulture. Like honestly, that first uh, Spider-Verse movie has just like a huge roster of villains, even in small roles. Mm-hmm. And this has a version of the Vulture, and then the Spot, and like even the animated series, the Spot was in. I'm pretty sure he was in one episode. Like very much kind of like a a kind of throwaway character, but he makes so much sense for this, given that it's all about you know universe jumping that he'd be the center of all of it and the fact that he starts out just so he's just goofy like (laughs) he's just like this weird he's got this like weird kind of like doughy shape and like he leans (laughs) against the shelf and like bread starts spilling out of him like no one takes him seriously and miles in particular and his arc of like being like oh like you're gonna take me seriously that's kind of feel like the way that we're looking at him as a character as well. Like Miles having to take him seriously and we're having to take him seriously. Oh, like he really could just fuck everything up if he wanted to. He just didn't realize he had the potential and he's discovering that in himself. And it does kind of parallel Miles too, also like discovering his own potential. It's sort of like dark reflection in a lot of ways. And great, great character. I love that he is so petty. He was like, oh, <laughs> oh, you're not taking me seriously? I bet. Like I'm gonna show the, you. One of the worst things you can do in life is insult a white man's ego like that in itself <laughs> absolutely true it absolutely allowed it, it led to so much destruction why because you didn't take this white angry man seriously and that I, like there was so much in this movie where i was like oh actually i feel that that's right like there's so many like subtle jokes that they give for the spot like when we get to spider-man india and he's just like, oh, let me guess, you're eat, pray, loving. It's like this a whole thing of like just whiteness in this very diverse space that actually mm-hmm. makes sense. Like the idea of um, the spot even going to a bodega to steal their ATM and and then being like, hey, I, like I'm not really the bad guy. It's the banks <laughs> that you should be worried about. I was like, <laughs> this is such a white man in a diverse area that I, I loved it and I just was able to see it for like the kind of fun the movie was having with it. What I love about the spot and is is that they really set him up to actually be Miles's arch nemesis. You know, one of the conversations mm-hmm. we always have is that like the reason why Batman and Joker are such great arch and ne- ne- arch nemesis <laughs> is because they're the same but different. They're the exact same but they're different. And with Miles in the spot, you have two characters that 
both of which were underestimated when they got started. Miles was mm-hmm. just as underestimated as the spot was. Miles was just as bumbling and just as awkward as the spot was. And so we see them kind of having these mirrored experiences of trying to prove themselves, of trying to prove validation. And as they seek to prove themselves more and more, they're coming closer and closer to their final battle with each other. Absolutely. Uh, I know I, I I absolutely love. Uh, kind of like the mirroring and like the evolution of the spot, like like even from like an animated source. From I I thought his animation style was so intriguing in like this three D world for him to be like almost a sketch was yeah. literally like almost mm-hmm. the polar opposite. Like if we're going three D or even four D in some cases, he is like two D, like to like like you know what I mean and. To see his evolution and his design style evolve and become like this really crazy um, swirling ink blot. There's a moment where he touches the black matter for the first time where he starts to kind of hover. And then for a quick glimpse, he's the same image that Miles drew and into the Spider-Verse and the no reflections on the wall, that kind of figure that's standing there. He's that same image reflected. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that. Gotta watch it again, guys. I'm telling you, it's all there. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, what are some more things that you guys love about? Like, I feel like I can go on, and we've talked about this idea of Miles. Counselor says this is a story about Miles writing his own story. Every person is a universe, and this is about Miles defining who he is going to be and what kind of story he's going to tell. I find that whole scene important because it also kind of foreshadows so much of like what Miles will be going through. This idea of like this and the speech that uh, his mother Rio has with him Hmm. are so much foreshadowing where Rio's like, you're gonna meet a bunch of people and they're gonna tell you you don't belong. But I need you to just remember that you are loved, that you have people behind you. And then she goes, and just don't get lost. And so the fact that this movie ends with him lost and having been told that he doesn't belong, he's an anomaly, he shouldn't be here. I was just like, oh my God, this is this movie is just fantastic. Her speech I was paying particular attention to on the second viewing especially when she says like you know don't let anyone tell you don't belong and then i was listening very closely like miguel actually says the words you don't belong yeah and it's just it the the character dynamic there is so good like his relationship with his parents like actually is really kind of the heart of the movie like as much as it's about him like reconnecting with all the other spider people particularly gwen it's really about his family it's tc's point and like knowing that clue the next movie is also being hugely about that especially him trying to like save his dad it just, it's so just emotional. It's so touching. By the way, that that counselor's name is Mrs. Weber, which I thought was really funny. And not only is it Mrs. Weber, but she says once, like, you know, they're telling the story and Miles is like, this is who I am. And there's that big moment. She goes, that's your story. Now stick to the script. Is what she says. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so funny because, again, for anyone who's watched the movie, the entire thing is about Miles not being able to just stick to the predetermined script for all Spider 
yeah. people, I guess. Yeah. And I, I think that's actually the overarching theme probably of going to be of the series is him defining his life on his own terms, because in the original, he, he was assigned that great expectations and he responded with no expectations. And then this one starts with the guidance counselor being, no, you have to write the story of your life. Who are you? And so when Miguel's like, who are you? And he's like, my name is Miles Morales. I was bitten by a radioactive spider. He's actively choosing to write his story as Spider-Man in that moment. DJ, to your point, like, I want to talk a little bit about the, the canon event idea yes! here, which I, yes. I think is so it's so brilliant and especially like you know um so much of you know my job is I, I am a podcast producer like i do this every day and i cover fandom stuff so i i was lucky enough to get to see this a little bit early and like we had a whole episode about this movie and that is like actually a huge part of my job in a weird way is like making sure that like we are accurate as best as we possibly can so like everything's being told because like this is really important to people people have a lot of investment in these stories and want to make sure that they're being discussed, you know, with accuracy. And so to have the whole movie be about how, like, the dark side of, like, canon, kind of, and how, like, yes, it's important, but also, like, does it force you to have to go down certain paths you don't want to go down? And it, it almost felt like kind of a, it's a commentary on where we are in terms of fandom culture, too, that, like, we're so obsessed with the exact specific things. We're so obsessed with the idea of, like, oh, it has to be this way because it's always been this way. And Miles is going, but why? Does it actually yeah. have to be this way? What happens if we just don't do that? And everyone's telling him that everything will get destroyed, but like, we actually don't know if that's true or not. And he's going off his gut, what he feels like is the right thing to do. Um, and even, um, who was it? Oh, uh, Gwen says that too, like my gut says this is wrong. And then Jessica's like, well, then go with your head. And it's just that, that, dichotomy there is so interesting and i love that they built a whole narrative around isn't canon kind of fucked up oh i was just i was not sold on the idea of like these canon events especially in a world where i mean in the world that the mcu is building where it's like loki and the tva exists i'm just like whatever happens will happen y'all will be okay the tva will fix it if you if whatever <laughs> i know they don't know about the tva but the tva will fix it just do whatever <laughs> Yeah, like, it's so funny that you say that because I watched the movie the second time with my husband and he came out and we were both like, what they're doing with the canon is so interesting and important because it'll either be one of two ways. Either Miles in the next movie will learn, he will do things differently and try to fight it. And at the end, the lesson is as much as you try to fight it, certain canon events have to happen. Or because Miles is the anomaly, which they keep saying, Miles' story will be different because the mere fact that he's the anomaly means that what worked for all of you will not work for him. So mm -hmm. what you're really getting at, and what makes this movie so profound in so many ways is that, yeah, it's so like meta and has all these inside jokes and all of these characters but it really kind of is a story about fate versus free will and like mm -hmm. this kind of like very human journey that we're all on to kind of like figure out, do we do what's expected of us or do we break out of that mold? So like, it's, it's a very specific story, but in that specificity, it's like also very universal as well. I do want to ask, uh, Amber, you had mentioned earlier, what are your critiques about this movie? What do you guys think kind of, this movie, it's, it's good, but could be better. 
it was too damn long. Like, <laughs> and I say this in a way where there's nothing that I would take out. There's nothing that I feel like could have been shorter. I feel mm-hmm. like all of it was very necessary, but it was just so long. I was sitting in the theater and I looked at my watch and I saw it had already been two hours. And I like was seeing, okay, so this is where they're going to end it. This is, you know, there's going to be a part three. But I was just like, I don't know that I can sit through this again. And then also there's another critique is just that there are like, these little phrases and caption things like comic scripts oh, that the, come the editors into the movie notes, the pop-up, and they're yeah. yeah and they're yeah. so short that I couldn't read them yeah. and I found myself being I'm so used to streaming I was like I want to pause this and read it <laughs> but I mean I get that it was short for you know whatever reasons it wasn't like that integral to the story but I wanted to read them and know what it said so those are my only critiques really mm-hmm. It's funny, I had spoken to Lordy about this before. I was like, the thing that I like about this movie, uh, which kind of addresses what you're talking about, is this movie was made for modern television watching or movie watching. Mm, like, yeah. It is made to be visited over and over again. It is made to be paused. It is made to be watched at 0.25 speed. This movie has, it's so layered and it's so much going on. Like with other movies and older movies, we'll say things like, oh, well, this wasn't made to be dissected screen for or screen for screen, frame for frame. This movie is. This movie gives you everything that it's ever thought to put inside one frame. So that when you revisit it 10 years from now, you'll still discover something new. Chris, I, I, I heard I, you mention um that you had issues with the ending of the movie. Yes. Yes. Okay. So what I want to say, I totally agree with you, CJ. Like this was meant to be revisited. And like, I think in the best way possible is because it's so layered. And I think you really do gain more every time you go back and rewatch it. I'm sure TC, you have a lot to say on that. Having seen it three times, most of any of us, like it, it does really, there's an additive experience every time you kind of go back. And I, and I am looking forward to watching it again at some point. I think for me, could feel it, it was heading towards a non-ending. And I could see that coming. And I know, I know, you know, CJ, you know, I've talked about this kind of off air. And I, and I, I know, I agree with you that like the movie is kind of like structured around Gwen's overall arc. And I think there is something there. But when I think about, um, you know, movies that are a two-parter that end on a finale, you know, I always think of um, like Lord of the Rings, I don't know as well, but then like Empire Strikes Back and especially Back to the Future. Like I love the Back to the Future trilogy. I think it's one of the greatest trilogies ever made. I think it like just totally works as a, an entire piece. And what I think about that movie and Empire, for me, they have a definitive third act and they basically resolve the main questions of that exact film, but then they leave something more to be resolved later on. Like at the end of the Back to the Future 2, Marty burns the almanac and like the whole plot, the whole story there is resolved, but then Doc gets sent to pass and we have to go back and save him, right? You know, um, an Empire like, the rebels are able to escape from Vader with the exception of, you know, Han with going and save him now. And with this, I know that they, they kind of resolve Gwen's story of where it started. But for me, like the big questions it was asking ultimately still are about miles and what's going to happen with his dad. And it did feel like it didn't really have a third act. It had like a really long second act. And then kind of like that second act, you know, had the big climax moment with the chase away from the spider club and that's and it's all amazing i love that whole sequence and then and, and amber I, maybe this is why you're starting to kind of like feel like the length of it too is like it felt really long but then it just sort of like abruptly ended and 
I found that dissatisfying walking out. I think maybe because we're at the point now where like storytelling is so serialized that I really appreciate something that's really succinct. And like I said, for me, In the Spider-Verse, I think is a perfect film. There's really nothing you could change about that movie. And it has the emotional payoff. And I didn't necessarily get that on this particularly because of Miles' story. So the first time I saw it, I was disappointed and a little bit frustrated. I had come to terms with my disappointment and frustration on the second viewing and I was a little more accepting of it. But um, I, and I've, I know I'm not alone in my frustrations on that, so. Before I respond, anyone else have something to say? <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand where Siege is coming from because the movie does start with when talking about how she wants to be a part of the band and it mm -hmm. ends with her having found a band to be a part of. Um, she created a new band, she created her own. And so there is that, um, you know, I walked into this movie having heard a interview with um, Lord and Miller who, I, they, they left me with the impression that these movies were like, the first movie is act one, the second movie is act two, and the third movie is act three. And so when I watched the entire movie as a second act of a three act structure, to me, that really worked. To me, I was like, yes, if this was all one big story, this is exactly where the second act would end to begin the third act of the final showdown. So that's why I, I felt like maybe it didn't bother me as much because mm -hmm. um, I had those expectations walking in. Like a big intermission card would like yeah. to show up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. I think I agree because I was a little disappointed. Like, I, I don't mind a cliffhanger, but that's such a huge cliffhanger that it's like. I don't know. I don't really know what to do with it anymore. Nothing feels resolved. Even Gwen's storyline didn't feel fully resolved to me. I can't wait to get it. All right. So now I can jump in. I will say that, like, <laughs> as I said earlier, uh, when Chris and I had this conversation, the movie opens up with Gwen and it says we're going to do things a little bit differently this time. So to me, when you realize that it opens up with her and her her kind of search for a band for a group of friends because she's like i haven't made any other friends other than miles um and then it also opens up with her not being able to talk to her dad and like this kind of golf between her and her father for them to end with not only her father having quit which in a way gets around the uh kind of captain narrative i was like a fantastic way to do that Mm -hmm. B, we get closure from her and her father, and then her father helps her a little bit, which is also fantastic. Um, and then, as T pointed out, we end with her uh, having made a band of her own. This is actually a movie about Gwen and Miles, and the fact that we open with Gwen and we end with Gwen, in a way, also remember that the movie starts Miles' story like 20, 30 minutes in. So it's kind of always been like, and his his ending will come later because we started with her and this is like really about giving her story closure, but his was always going to be delayed because it in fact was delayed in this movie itself. And I, and I agree with you. I think you were absolutely right in terms of how it handles Gwen. Um, and I, and TC, I agree. Like it does feel like the second act of a story. I just think I think there have been more graceful examples in cinema history of how to do like a second act that feels a little bit more a little bit more uh, singular and closed off. But it's still fucking amazing. So <laughs> can I ask a question? 
Go Please. for it. Give it to us. Okay. So we know it's Pride Month and they released it during Pride Month. And we already talked about Gwen's like changing colors of the background. There were like bisexual and like queer colors in her background Absolutely. and people are saying that Gwen is trans I well, don't know if I'm fully protect, sold she had to protect the trans kids post I was gonna her. say that when I watched it again I noticed that <laughs> yeah I don't know that I'm fully sold on her being trans but I am fully sold on the fact that this was like they were like we're gonna release this during pride month this is like to let this is for the gays <laughs> you know what to, to vouch for that um it's really interesting i feel like they did have this month in mind for release because miles has a juneteenth poster up in his room as well so it just feels like they were very aware of what was going to be happening during this release month amber i'm so glad you brought this up i was i had it in my notes actually i want to talk about this specific thing and i was reading an article before we all hopped on about this because like i i'm like it's fully in my head canon that she's trans. Like I was looking up like kind of what the what people's like evidence basically is and on top of like the, the the color palette being lots of bisexual colors, but also lots of trans colors. So light pink, light blue, and white. Um, she has the protect trans kids poster, but then one of the ones I thought that was really interesting was that her dad has a trans flag on his uniform, which like, mm -hmm. it's, it's a really big deal that like a cop would have a trans flag on his uniform. And again, sadly, apparently just like horrendous bigotry and prejudice exists in all universes it's fucked up can we have a good one but i thought that was interesting and like if anything that to me was like the biggest clue that like maybe that was the filmmaker's intent like that he's wearing that like it's a very very clear sign um i guess what i'm curious about for everyone is like how how do you think the film should address this like should the producers come out and say like yes this is what we intended should they say nothing and just let this character exist and not have the fact that she's trans be a defining thing about the character like i don't know what's the best way to like make this seem satisfactory if we're trying to get like an answer to the question i'm curious what you guys think about that when you look at gwen's storyline you're like i could see mm -hmm. this being a trans allegory like someone who like she's constantly telling her father i didn't i don't know if i can show my true self to you without disappointing you yeah. uh there's a lot of like stories or allegories are meaning that can be read into Gwen's entire storyline. And to me, I feel like, I don't know if I want them to just come out and directly say it. Like mm -hmm. as much as I feel like that would be such a defining moment for them to just be like, yeah, and she's trans. You know, I also feel like it would, that would just be what the entire third movie is about. And any and all kind of other meaning that this movie and story is trying to tell would be lost, mm -hmm. you know? And just because, unfortunately, we live in a society to where, as we've talked about previously, if there's three Black people in a production, all of a sudden it's a Black movie, you know? Like, so to me, if they come out and they're like, and she's a trans char you know, character, not only does it put, like, a spotlight on that issue, but, like, it kind of reduces all of her complexity as a character into just being a trans character. That's how I feel, but mm -hmm. I'm totally open if if it would actually mean something to the actual trans community. That's what I was gonna think. Like, I can't really speak for that community, but I would imagine that that community deserves to be celebrated and feel like they have a hero as much as I do when I watch Miles. Um, mm -hmm. So I feel like you're right in that, like, it's a delicate balance um because Gwen is so she's so incredible and so multifaceted and 
Um, you don't want to reduce her to just one label because I think the whole point of these movies is to celebrate diversity. But there also feels like, you know, if, there, if we're going to celebrate some kind of diversity, let's celebrate all kinds. You know, I didn't really uh, read her as trans because of the poster or even the the pin, which I did not see the pin on the, the cops thing. That kind of changes my mind a little bit. But um, when I saw that Miles had the BLM, I thought they were just trying to orchestrate that this is a gen uh, like gen z these are like kids mm -hmm. who are active in 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 politics and they're you know they stand up for what they uh you know these ideas and these principles in a very obvious way and so i thought that's what was kind of being reflected but you all brought up fantastic points i think i agree with you um siege because i would love for them to be like um she's trans and i would love for us to be able to be like celebrate it and then move on but if she is then like there are people who are really or horrible and transphobic and then they're gonna that's all that she'll ever be and they won't yeah. let us enjoy the movie exactly yeah, it's true so, yeah so i don't know like i i do feel like a i don't think that we should create art out of fear nor should we create art um to appeal to the worst of us. Uh, I don't think that that's fair. I think that if anything, you should kind of do things to spite them. But I feel like this way of like giving you all of the hints, giving you all the clues and Easter eggs allows you to have it not be the defining trait of this character. Um, we've kind of hit on this a little bit. Who is everyone's favorite spider person? Uh, Hobby Brown. Hobby, the answer is Hobby <laughs> Brown. The correct answer is yeah. yeah. Easily. It it is Hobby, but it is also um was it was it Mayday, the Peter B's daughter? Oh yes. I, yes. Adorable. I love a chaotic good. Like he's <laughs> just so good. And like I also just love that he was gentle parenting her. Like yeah. she was doing all this stuff and just causing mayhem. And he was like, oh, it's fine. I'm also a spider person. I can handle this. Like, I'm not going to like sit here and reprimand her. She's just a baby with superpowers. Like she's going to act out. But I, I really love her. She was just so cute. Yeah. Mayday is, is so adorable. I loved her inclusion. I think um, my, my, my runner up just for name alone is the the spider dune buggy who is Peter Park's car and just <laughs> the, the pun work on that is so fantastic I had to give that a shout um but this will probably come as no surprise anyone knows me particularly CJ but like mine was my favorite was the Lego version because I am a a yep. huge huge Lego person um and like when I when I saw the second time I saw it with a bunch of friends and my friend little like hit my arm when the Lego stuff comes <laughs> up because they were just like oh my god like Chris this is so in your wheelhouse um, I just thought that was like such a fun, weird little uh, inclusion um, and something that I, I, I hadn't caught, but that uh, um, Kent Powers, the director, talked about was like, uh, Lego Spider-Man is the only person that Miguel compliments in the entire movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I thought was one. really fantastic. So. He's, you're one of our best guys, he says. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, everyone else he's super critical of. Just the one, just the one spider person was the Lego Spider-Man that he he liked. Um, I want to talk about Hobby Brown because there's a few things about his character that I love. Um, first of all, I love that he is this just punk rock, non-conformist, anti-disestablishmentarianism kind of dude. And they weave that into his character in so many interesting ways. Um, one of which is the fact that if you watch closely, when he goes to visit Miguel, he is stealing in plain sight 
tech mm -hmm. future technology yep. so that he can build his own time risk you know miles he he asked miles why do you want to join spider society he's like because i want to a watch to travel the the multiverse and he's like why don't you make your own and then later on he makes his own and you kind of notice in the design of it it reflects hobbies uh you know paper mache type of animation in the same way that miguel's time will, uh, reflects his animation. So I just thought that was really interesting. Um, and the other thing that's cool about him is that, so, and they were so detailed in this, um, all of the spider people move one frame per second with the mm -hmm. exception of Miles Morales who moves mm -hmm. to every other frame because he's slightly off from the other Spider-Man. But Hobby is such a nonconformist that he moves every three frames. And the fact that they put that detail into there is just the most crazy, insane, like, little Easter egg that That's I can amazing. think of. They said he goes every three frames, but his guitar moves every four frames, uh, which is great because, again, <laughs> he's like, I don't believe in consistency. First of all, I love that style. Like, mm -hmm. that collage, Sex Pistols, is what they call it, like, style that he has going on, I've always been a fan of. So to see that in an animation was just kind of spectacular. And I can't wait to visit more of, like, that universe. But his character in general was, like, they, they said that they wanted a character that was cooler than Miles. And then not only is he cooler than Miles, but he's effortlessly cool. And mm -hmm. then someone I saw pointed out that you expect him, like when you hear Gwen talk about him and when you hear Pav talk about him, you expect him to come in and just be like, oh, I'm better than, than all of you. But instead, he's so welcoming and he's like a fan of Miles and he he uh, supports Miles and he's the one who teaches Miles how to get out. And I just thought that that was a great subversion of the character to like have someone who's not only cooler than Miles, but also supportive and like doesn't see anyone as competition really he's amazing. i mean aside from that shady comment of is he bleeding from his armpits yeah yeah, yeah i yeah. love how everyone fucks with miles for his costume <laughs> everyone just gave like peter b parker was like oh we'll get you a new costume it's not a big deal <laughs> they're mad rude about it too well i think it's funny because like you see all of these spider people so like again like they they clearly have opinions because they've all worked on their own suits. Did you know that no two spider beings had the same whip sound from their oh, web shooters? I didn't know that. No. Every oh, single that... being has their own individual sound. It's That's crazy. Amazing. Oh my god. It's this crazy. movie. This movie, I know that it took what, four or five years to yeah. Yeah. get together and when you watch it and you see the detail you understand why it did take four or five years for them to make this movie and i thought it was really interesting that the movie is centered upon like hey you can save the world or you can save one person if you're willing to make a personal sacrifice you can do what's best for the world and i was like oh this movie was made during the pandemic that's interesting uh, yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, yeah. you can save one person or you can save several people. Like, which oh, how cool. much are you willing to sacrifice to help save the world? Like, what individual sacrifices are you willing to make to be a hero? I just thought those were the fact that this was made all pretty much through the pandemic. I just thought that was an interesting parallel. Well, it's also funny because Miguel says being Spider Man is about sacrifice. Um, and I, I want to talk about Miguel for a moment because not only does Oscar Isaac do like a fantastic job as a voice actor, but I feel like his spider person, I, I am personally torn because I'm like, he has 
a point. Like, you don't, like, do you allow an entire universe, which is billions of people, to die so you can save one person? Like, what do you do? You know, you had asked us for criticisms before. And my one criticism about this movie was that from a story structure place, I can't understand why Miguel would tell Miles, like, hey, this is going to happen in two days. Because the most Spider-Man thing that Spider-Man could try to do is to try to save everyone at the same time. Like, there's not a single version of Mm -hmm. Spider-Man where they haven't attempted to do it. So this idea that, one, Miles wouldn't try... Or that too, there wouldn't be sympathy from the other spider people who, you know, are have gone through the same thing. I, I don't know. I just I didn't find that to be the best. Uh that's probably my one critique I have. But in general, that whole feeling of, hey, you have to put your personal feelings aside and do what's best for the world is also the story of every Spider-Man movie. So well, I feel like my my reaction to that is one, we see Miguel be like, Well, I'm not gonna let you leave. So that's why he didn't have no problem telling him that it happens in two days, because I'm not going to let you leave this this area. I'm going to confine you, and you're just going to have to wait it out. But also, I feel like for the majority of the spider people that we see, with the exception of Spider-Man India, who, again, is so excited and so happy and so like, everything works out. What could go wrong for a Spider-Man? Like, nothing <laughs> bad has happened to him yet. So for him, the idea that, um, you know, all of these things haven't happened yet with every other spider person, the bad thing has already happened. Like, it's already, like, they've already experienced the death of uncle of their uncle or a close person. They've already experienced the death of the captain. And what happens is Miles looks at them and they're like, so this happened to you? And they all are like, yeah, this has already happened to us. So for them, it seems like something that is inevitable. If you meet a group of people and they're like, yeah, this has already happened to us. It just hasn't happened to you yet. Then it does feel inevitable. All right, so we talked about your favorite Spider People, uh, and I, I oh, actually, yeah, we were talking about Spider People. I just want to give a quick shout out to what's his name, Pav. Yeah, Pav, that was what Pav. I was gonna say. Oh, yeah, that is my favorite. Like, I I enjoyed him. I enjoyed his character. I enjoyed his world. Um, I like his the hair. whole his hair. Um, the, the his his <laughs> personality felt like a Spider person who nothing wrong had happened to yet. And he's just like, I'm effortless. I don't work out too much because I don't want to get too bulky. My hair just does this. Like, I was just like, I love this guy. And he had the same sense of humor and kind of like awareness uh, as the rest of them. So I I enjoyed his world. And I also enjoyed like this idea of Moonbatten, I think it is. Yeah. I loved that, like, that merging as well. I thought it was really fun. And here's traffic. And here's traffic. And here's traffic. And here's traffic. I loved it so much. Also, his voice actor lived in India for a while. And after they filmed the movie, like, after, you know, they had done his part, the directors brought him back in because they were like, we don't think this character is culturally relevant enough. Like, we need to go ahead and, like, do some more ideas and throw some more ideas out there. And I love it so much when there's, like, a character that comes in and is like, here's my culture. I'm not going to sit here and explain it to you. It just is what it is. Yeah, definitely. 
I, it was just so good. Like, I mean, I already knew the chai tea thing was going to happen when he said chai tea. I was like, he's going to call you out on that. And it happened so beautifully. And then when they said, here's where the British stole all of our stuff. I was yeah. like, let's keep this going. I loved it so much. Like no explanation, no nothing. It's just, this is just what it is. But you know what? I felt the same thing when I saw the Black Lives Matter pin of just like, so the British did it in another universe too. Goddamn. <laughs> they can't That's be stopped. <laughs> Thanos. Um, interesting about Pav that I thought was interesting. Um, in the beginning, when Spot is stealing the ATM, he's uh, Miles says, "Why are you calling it an ATM? The M means machine." And so when mm -hmm. Pav says, "Why are you calling it Chai T?" It's just this mirroring that we're seeing, like not only in canon events but in the actual personalities. Like when Peter B. Parker says to Miguel, "Like Spider People are supposed to be funny. Why aren't you funny?" Like that is just like this unique thing that all Spider People kind of have. And I just thought it was interesting to see that parallel in that. Uh, and chai the, the layers of like callbacks, like that's like that's yeah. a callback with the movie itself and anything. But like, there's so many callbacks to like the first one as well, right? Like um the the moment where jeff is like deciding whether he jumps or not and then he like runs down the stairs like Miles does the same thing when he's like first trying to decide whether he can jump or yeah. not or even like when he he finally like escapes from miguel he does like the shoulder tap just yeah. like he did at the end of the first one and uh, there's so many more i'm just not thinking about the moment, well the but, one like, that i thought of was at the end when he's tied up to the punching bag it's very mm, similar to how peter b yes. parker was tied up and then he told him he's like hey you got to watch the hands and so yes! Yes, he's like that's being set up. Uh, so I, I have a question about alternate universe Spider-Man or alternate mm. universe Miles. So like, you know, he's the Prowler. We historically know like the Prowler is a villain. You know, they, they certainly go out of the way to like allude to the fact that also in that universe, Uncle Aaron's a villain too. Like the way he's like, hey, no, like your family, here's money. We're going to take care of you. He makes a comment about how like a shift change at the bank. Do we think that version of the Prowler, that Miles Prowler, is actually a villain, or do you think he might be able to like be a hero in his own way in that universe? So I was always told, and I don't know for sure, but I was told that the Prowler isn't a villain, he's mm -hmm. an antagonist. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's kind of one of those things where it's like the Prowler isn't necessarily evil, but he's not good. The Prowler is for lack of a better word, an opportunist. And and that also kind of like answers to why Uncle Aaron was the way that he was. He was able to be like a good uncle, but ultimately working for the bad guys. Um, and that's why I think that there is potential. Like we see in the alternate universe, Miles is Prowler, which only is because he didn't have the opportunity or the um, exposure to the other Peters. Mm -hmm. uh, and so like that, that's my answer to it is that he's not necessarily a villain. He's an antagonist. And with most antagonists kind of like, I don't want to say Killmonger, but it's like they, they have a point and they can be persuaded under the right circumstances. That's yeah, like, like how like I feel. Like, like a poison yeah. ivy. Yeah. Like yes, a poison yeah. ivy. Who's poison that a villain? Ivy. Yeah. Exactly. To save the environment. Okay, but she, she kills a lot of people. So, yeah. I mean, I, I love I her and I'm with her. I, I'm not, uh, I will say this. I am officially not endorsing murder. However, <laughs> I would also say that sometimes you got to prune a few branches if you want the tree to wow. grow. That's all I'm being told. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm, I'm like saying. like an arch nemesis. <laughs> I wanted to talk back about Miguel and... I think that they did a really good job of making this villain or antagonist person who has this mission, who has these morals, 
and they did it so well and I'm gonna keep comparing it to Eternals because Eternals I don't I don't feel like I really believe that the Eternals were doing anything right when the Celestial came and was like you destroyed you stopped a whole another generation of worlds being created I was like yeah that sounds real bad like let let Earth go let it go like <laughs> we live here we're like yeah. why are we doing this if, if someone needs to wipe this site clean do what you need to do baby <laughs> do it before it's my next <laughs> it's a hot mess get rid of it but yeah. in this one, I was it's it makes more sense because it's his dad and he has a very close relationship with his dad and he's had this like trouble trying to, you know, make him proud and try to show him that he actually does care. He just has this thing that he can't tell him. And then Miguel being like, but you could be destroying your whole dimension. It's like that it makes sense on both sides. I see both sides of the story. Whereas in Eternals, I'm just like, I'm not convinced. I feel like that's very compelling. And T to your point, like any other spider person would try like i like that's one of the things that's interesting to me is that you see like whether it's gwen or even jessica like there's all these spider people who are like i'm supposed to stop you but also i kind of would do what you would do you know what yeah. i mean like they're they're all kind of looking specifically hobie one of the things that we we kind of brought up hobie earlier but if you rewatch the movie and you look at him throughout he like knows he knows what no one's willing to tell miles which is that you're the anomaly mm -hmm. and you have this canon event coming up that hasn't happened yet he and tells just, he tells miles don't enlist in the war that you don't know what you're signing up for correct like that. that's mm -hmm. my point is he's always kind of looking to me hobie's never really sold on being part of the spider society he's like i'm gonna help this anomaly go as far as he can I think uh, he wanted to take it down and he was kind of waiting to see who he could trust and who would be around to like help him do it. And I think when mm -hmm. he saw Gwen and Miles kind of speak up against it, that's when he's like, okay, I'm going to head out. I'm going to set this up for Gwen because yeah, he doesn't like teams. He doesn't like being a part of a band, but he also doesn't like consistency. So maybe <laughs> exactly. this time he'll like it. <laughs> exactly. Oh, and to, to that point, to me, I think that Hobie is also a great, um, representation of someone who is want wants to take the system down from within but also knows that like you can't do so and also kind of like fight with them you have to just be like i'm out i quit you know huh? you know yeah. like that that grand grandustness you can't put a fire out from inside of the house yeah absolutely uh, we started on Hamilton, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, because that's the thing. I think it's idealistic to want to, and I think that so many people tell themselves, "Oh, I will get to a position of power, and then once I do, I'll change things." Like yeah. I think that's like that's what everyone tells themselves, and that's why they're revolting against Miles because he's like, "No, I don't want to do that. I want to change it from the gut." And I think that's also like a generational conversation that's happening, and you know, um, in the world right now as well. It's just the new generation being like, "No, we don't want to do it that way." And, and I think to that point, what's interesting is uh, Captain Stacy Gwen's dad also walks away. He's like, "I can't. This is not going to work. I can't do both. I can't like protect you and be a dad and still." be a cop chasing Spider-Woman. And so I'm giving up that to be your dad. Yeah, I, I love say, that. I will say I was very ticked off when he when I found out he quit. Because I was like, it's that deep. Like, Spider-Man <laughs> don't even be doing nothing that bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, but if he, if he is going to be a quote-unquote good cop, 
Like, I think that this was very interesting. This is a a a child of a cop movie, but also mm-hmm. a vigilante movie. So it is very interesting to be like, you are the system, but you know that the system has limits. You know yeah. this. And you always taught me to do things by the book, but what would be more, what would be the greater good yeah. in this situation? Mm-hmm. And that it, it's complex. Like even Jeff, who we see as a good cop and wanting to make really good change, it's just like he's also obsessed with like just doing things by the book and being like, oh, this dude's a criminal. And it's like, yeah, but you're not even really understanding what else is going on here. And you I know, don't know. I, I think that's Jeff's arc in the movie. And you know what? The thing I was trying to think of was my answer to, to Chris, your question about Miles and alternative Miles, because... You know, Mm. I really think that that's a story about what happens when you don't have good parenting. Like the difference between alternative Miles and this Miles is that his dad isn't there and he's he's getting guidance solely from his uncle. You know, when you hear Jeff throughout the movie, all he's talking about is how he's trying to be a good dad and he doesn't know if he's doing a good job. And I really want to, you know, how do I reach these kids? Then like, (laughs) you know, that kind of like grumpy old man kind of thing. But it, it is just this like story about wanting to be a good dad, Gwen wanting to be a good dad and also their kids wanting to be good children for their parents as well mm-hmm. so um you know i think there's just a lot there with jeff's influence on miles's life and why he has the outcome that he has and then even peter b parker being like am i good at this yeah <laughs> I, I love to answer both of you alternative miles goes oh your dad's still alive interesting and it's like the oh you have something that we don't no one else has mm-hmm. no other spider person has both of their parents yeah. and it's very interesting to see that Miles does have it and in some ways takes it for granted. Yeah, I'm definitely. But, yeah. because there was a Twitter post when they released the trailer that was like, they don't want to let Miles into the Spider Society because he has two parents. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good point. To, to your, uh, I also wanted to talk about Miles' parents for a little bit because um, visually, this is one of the things that I saw upon rewatch Rio, his mother, is always in red, which is mm-hmm. like, you know, like one of the spider colors, red and blue. Jeff is in a blue and purple shirt throughout most of the movie. And there's like this subtlety. We know that without Jeff, Miles becomes the Prowler. While Jeff is there, Miles is Spider Man. And to me, it's this visual communication that Jeff is, in fact, very important. In fact, the Prowler is from Jeff's bloodline, his uncle, his brother. So there is this, like, kind of messaging of Jeff being, like, very important to Miles's Superman journey. Visually, that's also communicated in the first movie. When Miles gets bitten for the first time mm-hmm. and he meets Peter A. Parker, he sees that his DNA colors change from purple and green to red and blue yeah. uh, after the spider bite affects his DNA. So it was almost as though he was meant to be the prowler in this universe had things gone differently. Again, because it had things gone differently, no matter what, Jeff dies, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because that's, that's a canon event. So I just think that that's, very interesting. The last thing I wanted to say, let's talk about Spider Bite and Hobie. Oh. And the reason why I want to bring that up is there's a lot of talk about how 
Spider Bite and Hobie knew Miles for like 3.5 seconds. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. see a young black child in trouble and they're like, you know what? I don't know everything, but I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> 100%. I felt that same thing, especially like um, when I saw that both of them were in Gwen's band at the end. I was just like, oh, okay. They're, they're, they're here for real. They're not messing around. Yeah. I love Spider Bite. I was so glad that she was helping out. I like I started typing on there like, "Go, girl, you get it." Because <laughs> there's that chance where she actually ha- like the computer says, "Do you want to restart the system yeah. while Miles mm-hmm. is like on his way back home?" And she kind of looks at it, and then she looks at Miles, and Miles is just like, "Please let me go." And again, like that's just if it is that's just black solidarity. We like you know what? I'm gonna give this black kid a little chance. <laughs> yeah definitely uh any other easter eggs or things that like we haven't discussed that you guys want to talk about because there's this movie is filled with them but i wanted to see if there were any others that you guys wanted to call out uh, the only comes to mind and um uh, we were talking about like the the color palette and tc you brought up how like in the first movie the color is going from green and purple to, to red and blue and the second watch um as soon as miles shows up and what we ultimately discover is universe 42 right so the wrong mm-hmm. one when he goes to go into disguise, he's wearing a purple hoodie and a green jacket. Yeah. And like, that was like, oh, like it was right there the entire time that those are the colors. And then I realized like that entire universe is like primarily shaded in those two colors. Yeah. And then when I thought about what he's like, our, our Miles is normally wearing, he's wearing like red, white, blue, and black. And it's like, oh, that's only, not only the colors of Jeff and of his own Spider-Man costume, but also of Peter. And it's like all those influences, like even down to the color palette across the different universes. Like they spent so much time thinking about these things, so much ridiculous amount of time thinking about it. And it's just so exciting to see like creatives who care about this so much. They'll put that level of granular detail into it. And, you know, from that detail, I like, I know you guys were kind of talking that you felt the length of this movie. I have to say, by the time Miles got to, like, the go-home machine or whatever it was, I forgot I was watching an animated movie. Like, don't get me wrong, it's obvious, but mm-hmm. I was just so enwrapped in the story of it that it almost just didn't feel like... I, I could have been watching any blockbuster movie from the 90s, and it would have had that same Jurassic Park type of, like, oh, I'm watching, like, a big event movie right now. It yeah. didn't even... Like, the animation aspect seemed to disappear after a certain point because the story became so strong. Um, at least, it, you know, to me, upon watching it, like, even the second or third time, I was like, wow, I'm just getting caught up in this. Yeah, it, it just, it sort of transcends the genre and the style. It also makes No Way Home seem corny as fuck. Sorry to <laughs> say. <laughs> no, it, it really, really does, though. Like, I, I was listening to a podcast, shocking, about this movie. <laughs> and one of the things they talked about was, like, you think about No Way Home, like, yeah, it's so great when the other Spider-Man show up. Like, there's, like, an a, a noticeable pause when Andrew Garfield shows up, like they were baking in time for the audience to applaud. Yeah. Yeah. And you really notice that when you're watching it at home. And I feel like here they do none of that. They don't have those moments like, Oh yeah. Like this, it's not built around like, Oh my God, this is such a huge moment. We have to talk about this big reveal. It's, it's down to like the detailing that makes it so exciting. Not like this surprise that we all already knew about anyways. And I think that goes back to what Siege was saying earlier about how they made this movie with the thought of people are going to go back and watch it and people are going to stream it because they didn't think about that when they first filmed uh, No Way Home because you don't need that pause. No. Like when you're rewatching it. 
Um, it's, it's so funny. One of the things I wanted to shout out is uh, there was a TikTok by um, the user Straw Hat Goofy, which mm-hmm. talks about Love Straw Hat Goofy. Straw Hat Goofy is amazing. He talks about the uh, soundtrack. And the oh, score. Yeah. Oh, and yes, in the yes. very end, which is what I'm so excited to talk about, he talks about how, again, we we know that this is a story of Miles, and Miles has like his own soundtrack. And then the Prowler has his own soundtrack. And in the last scene that we see, there is a layering of the Prowler and Miles score because mm-hmm. we have both Miles, both Miles from both universes are layered on top of each other. Um, but then also we hear when things like get intense, we hear the drums come in and Gwen is a drummer. And Mm -hmm. as that starts to amp up and we see Gwen form her band, we even get a little guitar rift and that is Hobie because Hobie plays the guitar. Mm -hmm. And so it all comes together. And to me, T, as you were saying, anyone who knows anything about musicals, is like halfway through a musical. I can't remember what the song is called, but it's basically a song that takes all of the sounds that we've heard from previous songs and it mashes it together. It's and usually, it's like, musicals are usually a two act structure. So it's usually the big song is right at, at the end of the first act. And that's kind of like mm-hmm. the big huzzah and then it goes to intermission. And that's Defying yeah. gravity. Exactly. Yeah. Defying non-stop. gravity. Yeah. Non-stop. Yeah. Yeah. A non-stop for Hamilton. Like it, there's just like this song that happens halfway through and it brings all the elements of all of the music that you've heard so far and it blends them together. And that's what this does yeah. right at the end. And so it really does give credit to what T was talking about, which is like this is the end of act two. Like you think it's the end of like this movie, but it's actually the end of act two of the entire story that they're trying to tell. Yeah. And also like those little details of like showing us Gwen on the drums, showing us Hobie with the guitar and then having all of those elements come together. I just thought it was like a fantastic way of um, blending all those things together. Yeah, it's phenomenal. You know, to your point about the music, I've been listening to the actual soundtrack that Metro Boomin made. It's actually pretty good. Like I consider the first uh, Spider-Man, the first Spider-Verse soundtrack to be impeccable. Like I I listen to it all the time. And, you know, although I don't feel like there were like these standout hits the way that the first one had with like Sunflower or What's Up Danger, like I'm really enjoying just the vibes of it. Like it's a Mm -hmm. very cool, like, I don't know, so rarely do we get um, this kind of mixture of of just all types of culture and i feel like you know when movies have like a dope soundtrack when they really invest on purposefully making the soundtrack important and weaving it into the movie um those always have the most lasting impact on me as a viewer because much like musicals like music stays with you so when you hear that song you're kind of right back into that world and i thought that they did a really good job with the soundtrack um again no standout songs but i've still been listening to it nonstop for like a week you know one last thing i want to say about this and you know this is kind of my last piece that i had my last thought um you know i think it's really interesting that there's this there's been like this push of the multiverse in general in storytelling mm-hmm. at the same time that we are in this age of social media. And I, I, if, you know, for so 
for, for many, social media kind of acts as this window into the lives of others. And it kind of leads us to kind of flip through Instagram and wonder like, oh man, if I had made different decisions, would I be, you know, in Tulum right now? Would, if I had made this, different decisions, would I be living this other life right now? And actually seeing these for different versions of other lives and seeing these windows. And, you know, if you think about what online friends have become, um, you know, this idea that you're an outsider in the middle of nowhere, but online you find a community that you can mm, really connect mm -hmm. to. It yeah. kind of reminds me of Miles feeling like he has no one in the first movie. And then, you know, throughout the first movie, he finally finds this group that he belongs to, this community. But much like an online friendship in the second movie, we find that like, it's not a friendship that he can have interactions with every day. And he yeah. wants to belong to that community. He wants to interact with them, but he can only do it if they're while they're in a different universe. And I just thought that there was just something about all of that that just kind of mirrors social media and where we're at with technology now. The fact that like Google, I mean, uh, Apple dropped that like Apple vision thing and like, you know, they have people coming into your world digitally. Like it just, there's something happening in society and culture right now when it comes to community. And I think that this movie is touching on that in a very like um, subtle way, but also in a very impactful way. Right in the feels. Yes. And then even once you finally do belong, it's not what you thought it would be. I thought that was, that to me was also really important. The idea that Miles was like, I fought so hard to be a part of this and it's nothing like what I thought it would be. A, I could only think of Hobie where he, like Hobie tried to warn you. He was like, yeah, you're fighting to get yeah. in this, but do you really know what it is? But then also this idea of we all tend to fight for what we think will be the solution. And then when you get it, you're like, oh, well, this is different from what I thought it would be. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love that, the, you know, the theme of this is like, you, you know, Miles even says to his guidance counselor when she's like, well, what do you want to do? He's like, well, I want to work with people to travel the multiverse. And like, that's what he says he wants to do with his life. So it's just yeah. really interesting to have, you know, when you're a kid, you're like, oh, I want to go to college. I want to study this. I want to be this when I grow up. And then you get that job and you're like, Fuck, this, this kind of sucks. Like, I kind of want to <laughs> do my own thing instead. Just again, very mirrored in Miles' story. I actually think uh, as we as we wrap this up, um, I will ask, what were your favorite jokes? Uh, this movie is a funny movie. Were there any like gags or jokes or anything that you guys like really enjoyed uh, uh, that we haven't mentioned yet? Spider There's one where a spider, spider cat? person. Spider cat. Mm. Oh, yeah. oh, spider cat was real cute. Mine was when there's somebody who's like, we got him. There's nowhere else. So you can go and he goes somewhere and they're like oh sorry there was somewhere for him to go <laughs> you know yeah. that is actually spider metro boomin it's a exact replica of him as a spider person and it's his voice doing it it's like his cameo for doing the soundtrack oh no i didn't know that yeah okay oh, that's right yeah that that's that's hilarious uh i really did enjoy that joke specifically amber uh that it was what made me be like what's your favorite Spider joke because I just thought that was funny. I also really like um the Banksy joke. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, it's yes, a Banksy. The Banksy joke. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I thought it was really good. And then also I'm... all the names they call uh Spot. Oh yeah, those were always great. Because what did, what did Gwen say? Like, what are you a cow move over or something? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like you gotta do better than that one. I like, um, I really love how the bagel joke came back into oh, play yes. in such an, yeah. an amazing way. Um 
I don't know what's up with bagels and multiverse movies. But that just <laughs> seems to be a theme. Um, but but the way that that little side joke paid off, I just thought that was so interesting the way they like weaved it all in. And the fact that he's a spot, like he's a giant, he has holes in him all the time. So the bagel being thrown at him, symbolic because the hole in the bagel. I, I think Cesar had the same moment here. It was like the whole holes thing. Yes, and he just kept yes. talking, and like my holes are an opportunity. Like stop <laughs> talking about your holes. <laughs> it's yeah, making us feel like, uncomfortable. Yeah, the construction guys. Yeah, go ahead. Which is why I said this movie was for the gays. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, they, wanted, they said you are queer you will be seen yeah. <laughs> my holes are an opportunity uh again my husband looked over at me it was like <laughs> <laughs> i just thought that was, that was fantastic i also what like we had talked about a little bit uh about mayday but like mm-hmm. the idea of peter b just being like hold the baby if you hold the baby yeah, I just thought, oh, that was really good. They, oh, they, can I ask one last question to all of you real fast? Yeah. But favorite Spider-Man movie? I need to go back and watch them, but I think right now this one's sitting pretty high for me. Favorite is Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, honestly, I think I want to see how this ends. You guys know me. I don't give a straight answer. I think <laughs> this, I think Into the Spider-Verse matched with this are my favorite. I feel like the both of them really do a really good job of everything that I want from like a Spider-Man, a superhero in a teen movie. Yeah, I, I agree. Me. I agree with Chris. I think Into the Spider Verse is my favorite just because there is that like you could just watch it as a standalone, and I think it's kind of perfect as is. Um, mm-hmm. But this is really close second. Um, you know, there's this bigger conversation happening right now about like is this in the realm, like in the running for like the greatest superhero movie of of all time or something like that. And you know, I think it's an interesting conversation because I the fact that an animated series at all is beating out Marvel films like Marvel like. They're, they should be embarrassed at how they look handling the multiverse right Period. now. Like it, it's, it's, there's, and I don't even want them to do Miles Morales live because I just feel like they're going to ruin it. Like there's no way you can do good. it better than Sony has done it. And so it, it's just interesting that, um, y- you know, that Sony, this company who I think everyone kind of rolled their eyes at because of the live action movies, because they were all Morbin time, you know, um, <laughs> actually put out like masterpieces with, with this conveys so much with so little and does it so well and and that's where like animation shines and like i would left this movie being like oh wow animation could be better than live action um you know i'm kind of sick of calling cgi movies live action at this point i want to call them like mixed reality movies or something because like there's something Mm -hmm. there's like we talked about this with little mermaid like your brain has to jump over so much hoops just to kind of like make sense of physically what's happening with gravity in the world that you can't just be immersive in it but to be in this world where when gwen is having a, a really highly emotional moment her whole background melts away. It disappears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's communicating with visuals something that words can't communicate. And that's where animation just really is, like, I think, um, overtakes uh, live action films in terms of what they can do to reach us at an emotional level. Animation is such a underappreciated art form. And this movie is a love letter to all types. Of animation well i just feel like they're really revolutionary revolutionizing animation in the sense of like it's made all of us kind of rethink what we expect from animation i think it's made all of that disney cow art style seem old-fashioned and retro and safe yep. whenever i see trailers for elemental i'm like what are these booger shapes 
creatures that I'm supposed <laughs> to care about. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, it's just, it's really hard for me. I'm like, why would I go see that when I can see Spider-Verse again? Like, that's where I'm at <laughs> right now. Like, I, I, it's just, they are losing this fight for animation in such an obvious way. And, you know, they're kind of, they're in charge of Marvel live action too. So I just feel like they're losing this whole thing. Anything else from anyone else? Oh, there was a character that was in the comic books, the spider that was in the wheelchair that distracted Miles a little bit. Oh, she, yeah. That's a character. I think that's also a queer character that is also from the comic books who's, because um, the comic books is kind of going along with this multiverse thing. Um, I think it's actually called like Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, so that was a really cool thing to see. I loved it. That you think yeah. I use people use uh, humor as too much of as like a crutch? Get it? A crutch? <laughs> and then yeah. it hits them in the face? <laughs> I get like so it was funny someone had like of course you always get your like cr your critics and someone was like oh I'm so tired of like forced diversity and we're like no this is Jesus not Christ. first forced this yeah. is like the most natural this is it, every character made sense the thing about these movies is it takes Stan Lee's words of anyone can be Spider-Man yeah. yeah. and yeah. it really shows how any person and doesn't like a t-rex can be spider <laughs> yeah it's really it's really hard to argue with like the idea of like oh there's a black spider-man when there's literally a t-rex spider-man and you know it, this yeah. movie does such a great job of uh using diversity as a strength you know, I feel like mm -hmm. a lot of times when larger corporations, haha, Disney, when they want to incorporate diversity, sometimes they do it in a very, in a very unnatural way. And yeah. they do it in a way where it feels forced, it feels unnatural for the audience a lot of times. Uh, you know, not that people are closed minded, but in that same way that like, um, you know, I don't want to see Michael Sarah playing Shaft either. So <laughs> there's just this, you know, this conversation about how to make diverse storytelling versus shoving diversity into like already white spaces, like creating our own spaces. Mm -hmm. And this movie feels like such an amazing example of the spices that you can throw into the recipe when you're not following along with that Martha Stewart cookbook. Like this just <laughs> is really just like so flavorful because of all the diversity that's offered, not just by the animation, but like we said, the music and just the, the performances, everything. Well, it literally creates its own space. Like that's what I think is interesting is like, it just creates its own spaces uh, and it tells its own story. That's kind of like the mark of this. Is it well, that's literally the mark just... of Miles Morales? That's yeah. the core of who he yeah. is. Correct. Um, I want to thank Amber, aka Sailor Ignite, for joining us again, and Lordifer, Chris Lord. Thank you for joining us again for another Spider recap. Uh, tell people where they can find each of you. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm on the socials on TikTok, uh, Instagram, and Facebook as Sailor Ignite. It's a great name, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you can find me on all the platforms uh, at Lordifer. Not a great name, but it's a, a really <laughs> a convenient combination. My last name, my first name. Um, and then if you want to hear more about Spider-Verse, I also produce a podcast called X-Ray Vision. And we did a whole episode on it, including an interview with Ken Powers. It's really fantastic. So uh, go check that out. Uh, I just want to, I've been waiting to say this. Listening to the last episode, you literally say, hopefully... I can get hired to talk about this. Like we are talking on. Are you fucking serious? Yeah. You're like maybe one day I can get a job. 
where I'm talking about this and to know that you are a <laughs> podcast producer now, five years later, is actually, it was uh, really- It was great. your bagel that you threw that- <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful bagel came full circle. Yeah, there you go. There, that's that's one. Um, thank you guys so much. Remember to thank check you. us out. Uh, again, this is one of our summer episodes. We have uh, a lot more that we will be doing for you guys later on in the summer. Um, we have merch. Check that out. Go to our YouTube. Subscribe. Help us with our mission for YouTube. And follow us on all the places at Bra Meets World. Email us at Bra Meets World at gmail.com. Um, and T, anything else? No, I just want to encourage people to interact with us and give us their thoughts on in, across the Spider-Verse. What did you like about it? What didn't you like about it? Give us your hot takes. Is there anything you noticed that we missed? Um, do you have any fan theories that you want to contribute? We really want to interact with you guys and hear what you have to say. All right. Thank you guys so much. And as always, dream, try, and, and do, do good. good. Hey! hey. Later, Russ. Later, Russ. When the spawn meets world.